Today's passage is Romans 11, 25 through 36. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has co-signed all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are our are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, Sydney. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Let's go ahead and get at it. Grab your Bibles. Let's open up to Romans chapter 11. And again, we'll do a little more singing at the end after we walk through this great text together this morning. But go ahead and find your place. Romans chapter 11. We're going to wrap up kind of this mini-series within a series as we've been walking through these three chapters of Romans this morning. And let me just give you a couple reminders. Uh, don't forget about the reading plan. It's available online. We've, we've got a plan that you can walk through Romans together and be reading this as we continue on in chapter 12 next week. Also want to remind you about a really special behind the message this Wednesday night. Every Wednesday night we gather uh, and, and dive a little deeper into the Sunday message, 6.30. This week's a little special. It's part of our rally night. Invite a friend. And behind the message, what's this? is ask an elder night. And what that means is you could come in, any question you want to ask our elders, I'll be there, Pastor Daniel will be there, Pastor Jeremy will be there. Imagine being able to ask Pastor Daniel any question you want to ask. Now here's my challenge for you. You find the most difficult verse and, and truth in Romans, and you come in ready to ask Pastor Daniel Wednesday night, all right? It's really stump Daniel night, okay? So that's Wednesday night, Ask an Elder, part of Behind the Message. Look forward to seeing you there if you're trying to find a place to connect in the life of our church. So let's continue on. Romans 11. I want to I just kind of give you a quick review, and then we're going to jump into verse 25 and bring this chapter to a close this morning. But let me, let me just kind of remind you how this whole section began back in chapter 9, verse 1. And I'll, I'll do it this way. I want to ask you this morning, what, what is it that burdens you today? And I, and I mean, really, what is it right now, if it, even as I say that, it, it comes to your mind, and man, it's that relationship, or it's that challenge at work, or it's that lost neighbor, or it's that lost family member, or it's that situation in your life right now that's just keeping you awake at night. What is it right now that's burdening you to the point of anguish, like Paul says here, Maybe it's the state of Tennessee football. I don't know. Whatever it is. 
Now, an aside on that, at any moment, we have prayer counselors in the back for you discouraged Tennessee fans this morning. It's a rough day. I get it. What is it that burdens you? If you remember, Romans chapter 9 begins with the Apostle Paul and a heavy burden. He describes the burden this way. He says, I have great sorrow. I have unceasing anguish in my heart. Paul has this burden as this section of Scripture begins. And one of the takeaways that's been very challenging to me personally is, is the, is the follow-up question, what do we do when we have burdens like that in our lives? So for three chapters, the Apostle Paul has taken this burden for his countrymen, his, his, his fellow Jews, his fellow Israelites who are lost and have rejected their Messiah, and he takes this burden to the Lord, and he takes this burden to the truth of Scripture. This is huge for us. So for three chapters, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, Paul has weaved in verses of Scripture throughout the Old Testament. He's walked through Genesis and Exodus and Malachi and Job and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Deuteronomy and Joel and Psalms and 1 Kings. In other words, he has taken his burden and he's laid it before the Lord and said, Lord, I need your perspective, your promises, your purposes on top of this burden I'm bearing. That's a great practice for us as followers of Jesus. So by the end of this section of Scripture, Paul, yes, he's still burdened, yes, he's still troubled, but Paul is now, as, you, as we just heard, we're going to see in a minute, is at a place of authentic worship, watch, not because the situation with Israel has changed, but because Paul now sees it from God's perspective. So for you and I, as we walk through these burdens of life, this is a great takeaway that we saturate our burdens and we bring our burdens under the authority of God's Word. And our situation may not change, but here's what will change. You will see it from God's perspective, God's purposes, and God's promises, and that will allow you to worship even in the midst of burdens. Because by the way, in this life, your burdens aren't going away, right? How do we deal with those burdens? Paul gives us that here. He's burdened for his brothers and sisters who are Jews. We see that the, the, really the theme of chapters 9 through 11 is, what about Israel? What about these promised people of God that God has promised to bless the people of Israel? He has promised in Genesis 12, we know the promises to Abraham. I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless your people, and from the people of Israel, I'm going to be a blessing to the world. Paul knows these promises to the nation of Israel. Paul is also keenly aware at present time, and even today, 2,000 years later, the state of Israel is pretty much wholesale rejection of Jesus as Messiah. Paul says, what are you going to do with that? So Paul walks through chapter 9. He sees it under the sovereignty of God that even, even within this he can't understand and can't put all the pieces together. God's plan will not fail. And then you get to chapter 10 and we see it's the obstinate rebellion of this human responsibility of the nation of Israel as well. And then you get to chapter 11 and Paul asks this question that we began last week about the future of Israel. And he says, 11.1, just review. He says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? 
Because it would certainly be a logical conclusion to say, because of the state of Israel 2,000 years ago, because of the state of the Jews spiritually today, God seems to have set them aside. It's like a football analogy. He's kind of put them on the bench for a season. Is God finished with Israel? And then he concludes and he says, by no means. And if you remember last week, he walked through several reasons why we believe that God and his promises to Israel have not failed. And let me remind you, this matters because it's in the word of God. It matters to you because if God cannot be trusted to keep his promises to Israel, he sure can't be trusted to keep his promises to you. And that's Paul's point. What about Israel? So he says, God has not rejected his people. And if you remember last week, we saw that we know the rejection that Israel is currently in is only partial. Paul taught that there's examples throughout history. At the present time, Paul writes in verse 5, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And he said throughout history, there's always been a believing remnant in Israel. There's always been a remnant, a group that God has set aside. There's always been that believing remnant as evidence that the hardening of Israel, it's only partial. It's not permanent. Then Paul showed us last week the current situation with Israel. Their rejection is also purposeful. He says, verse 11, I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's us. So as to make Israel jealous. Paul says, okay, I'm getting the perspective now. I see that as God puts all this together, there's a purpose. Even in the current rejection of Israel, God sends his blessings. It's this kind of cycle of blessing that you see throughout this narrative. God blesses Israel. Israel rejects. God puts his blessings on Gentiles. And then the Jews get jealous of the Gentiles. They repent in turn. Blessings back to the Jews. And then blessings to the world. That's the cycle you're going to see throughout this. There is a purpose, even in Israel's rejection, Paul concludes. And then he says, we realize that this rejection of Israel is instructional. We learn something from it. Paul says, listen, first, don't you be arrogant, Gentiles. Don't you be arrogant that you've received the grace of God. You remember that you are not the end. It's ultimately not even all about us. God's purpose for us and the world is much, much bigger than us. We were talking about this in Behind the Message even this week, and somebody just made the comment. They said, really, before this, I've never really even cared what happened with Israel. It's never really even mattered to me, all that stuff in the Old Testament. The point was, we tend to get so arrogant that we conclude it's all about us, and we're narrow-minded. And Paul says, whoa, there's no room for spiritual pride in God's grace. God's purpose for the world is a whole lot bigger than you. And me. We're a part of it. He says, don't fall on the same lines of Israel in the past and you become very centric, egocentric, thinking God's purpose is just about me. It's never just about us. So, So don't be arrogant. There's no room for unbelief here in God's purposes and plans. And he continues on. So that, that kind of catches us up. Paul says their current situation Rejection of their Messiah, it's only partial. Israel's current rejection of Messiah, it has a purpose. And it's for instruction to us. 
So under that big truth that we had last week, God is not finished with Israel. Here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to give you a few more big ideas that flow right out of that. And then we're going to continue in worship and song as, as Paul leads us through these verses in Romans chapter 11. All right? God is not finished with Israel. Therefore, we can trust God to keep his promises. Now, Paul continues on, verse 25. Let's pick it up there, all right? And then we're going to walk through some truths for you. The Bible says this. Paul writes, he says, Lest you be wise in your own sight. There it is again. Romans 9 through 11 is pride-smashing truth for us who want to tend to get arrogant about God's purpose in our life. He says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. The word mystery, here you can circle this in your Bible, it appears several times in the New Testament. It's not like Sherlock Holmes that God is hiding stuff from us. You know, it's not an Easter egg hunt that God's just being mean and hiding stuff. The word mystery means basically something that's made clear now, but for generations was still unclear. Paul says there, there's something that God has made clear now about Israel and his plan of redemption that for generations was not clear to the people. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware of this thing God has now made clear to us because it matters. He says, a partial hardening has come upon Israel. Talked about that already. You pull back and you see God's purpose throughout history, the current state of Israel, the current state of their relationship to their Messiah. There is a partial hardening that currently exists. Paul goes on and he says, it has a duration. He's going to add something here that's very important to you and me this morning. He says, this partial hardening, the situation of Israel, has a duration. How long, Paul? Until, end of verse 25... The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So all these pieces work together in God's big plan of history. Let me pause here and take an aside to remind you of something. God's purposes and plan for Israel are linked directly to the history of the world and the future of the world. So if you think what we're going over in Romans chapter 11, and you're getting ready to check out, you're going, I don't even know half of what he's talking about. Let me tell you, tied into this is the future of the world. Paul says this hardening of Israel, this rejection of their Messiah has a duration, and it is till the fullness of the Gentiles, that's us, has come in. And then, verse 26, all Israel will be saved. What's all this mean? Let me give you a big idea number four. Here it is. Israel's future restoration is certain. You can conclude here that there is a future certainty to the restoration of God's covenant chosen people, Israel. And all that that means to us. Their current rejection is partial. It has a duration. It's all about God's saving plan. And it's to keep us humble. Paul wants us to understand this. That God's plan is a whole lot bigger than just you and me this morning. So this poses some questions for us. Pastor Mike, based on this verse then, are you saying there will be a time in the future when Israel is collectively saved, restored, and the primary means of God's blessing to the world? Yes. Paul says, there is a time coming in the future when Israel collectively, 
is going to be redeemed, restored, and the primary means of God's blessings to the world. Remember back in verse 15? He's already alluded to this. He said, if their current rejection means reconciliation for the world, meaning the gospel comes to us because of their rejection, Paul says, what's their acceptance going to mean? Except life from the dead. In other words, the future restoration of the nation of Israel, Paul says, means blessings for the world. The future restoration of the nation of Israel has purposes for the world, and it's sure and it's certain. Verse 25, when is all this going to take place? End of verse 25 says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What does that mean? Well, we're the Gentiles. There may be some... Jewish brothers and sisters in here this morning, but I would imagine very few, primarily were Gentiles. And Paul is saying the current program and purposes of God is the attention is on the world, the Gentile world. And there's going to be a day that the number that he has chosen are going to be brought in and the fullness of the Gentile world is going to come about. Jesus makes reference to this, by the way. John chapter 10, verse 16, you can just, you just mark it, go back and look at it. He's talking about the good shepherd and the good shepherd working with his sheep. Then he makes reference to us, the Gentiles. Verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Speaking of the Gentiles, I must bring them in also. That's what's happening in the world today. God's primary focus and his attention is on the Gentile world, us. America, South America, if you will. His attention is on the non-Jewish world. It has a duration. It has a culmination. And he's going to bring it about by his sovereignty. Let me tell you how practical this is for you and me. This means that when we as a church send out missionaries and send out teams and send out church planners to the ends of the earth, whether it's the Beverly's or the Hearts that we're getting ready to send to Southeast Asia and the Czech Republic, and uh, whether it's a church plant in Denver or wherever it is, we're joining in in God's plan that there is a beginning and an end. He's going to bring the fullness of the Gentiles in at His determined time. And we get to be a part of that. That means that all over the world right now, Chinese believers are coming to Christ. Japanese believers are coming to Christ. Watch this. Iraqi believers are coming to Christ. Muslim men and women are coming to Christ. Non-Jews are coming to Christ all over the world as a part of God's plan. And we get to be a part of that. It has a beginning. It has a duration. And it's all by grace and God's sovereignty. And he says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And watch this. In this... The more and more Gentiles that come to faith, and as God builds his church of believing Jews or Gentiles and some Jews, here's what happens. Paul says it just continues to make Israel jealous. There's this, as we get joy, as we live out the joy of Christ in us, Paul says God uses that, remember last week, to make the Jews jealous. Verse 26 says, a, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. God is using all this to bring salvation to his nation, Israel, ultimately. You say, Pastor Mike, that's a lot to digest. I know, you're, you're dealing with a ton of biblical redemptive history, all there in a little snapshot here in Romans chapter 11. But this thing is going somewhere. It's going somewhere under God's sovereign hand. And he says, there is a day, verse 26, that all Israel will be saved. Time out. Stop right there, okay? 
Now, if you want to argue some theological points, this would be a good place to stop and argue some theological points. We're not going to do that this morning. I'm going to ask you this question. When Paul says, all Israel will be saved, what does that mean? Paul, what, what do you mean by that? Do you mean that there's a day coming when every single Jew around the world is going to be saved? Is that what that means? Nope. You know how we know that? You read through the book of Revelation. There's going to be a sifting. There's going to be the sheep and the goats that are going to be separated. Does that mean that there is a different way of salvation in the future? And God's going to look down and it has nothing to do with faith, has nothing to do with repentance. God just looks like, bam, you're saved. Nope. That's not what that means. Does it mean, as some believe, metaphorically, well, he's really talking about the church here. He's not even really talking about Israel. It's kind of the metaphor. Is that what that means? No, because he makes a clear distinction here between Jew and Gentile. Israel will be saved. Pastor Mike, what do you mean? Let me give you a biblical principle as you walk through Scripture and you study Scripture on your own. And here it is. Ready for this? This is mind-boggling. Scripture interprets Scripture. Everybody okay this morning? I didn't even get an amen. I didn't even get a grunt. Let's try that again. Scripture interprets Scripture. That's a little better. So you come to this tough passage and you read something and all the commentators just go all over the place about it. You say, I don't know what to do. I'm going to close my Bible and go play golf and forget about it. I'm not going to watch UT football because that just makes me depressed. I'm just going to stop. What am I going to do? Keep reading. Keep reading. The Bible interprets the Bible. So he goes on, he says, all Israel, verse 26, will be saved. Okay, what does that mean? Because it matters to you and me. As it is written. Okay, I'm going to interpret this, Paul said. He says, the deliverer will come from Zion. Okay, so a deliverer is coming. A Savior is coming, and He's coming from Zion. What does Zion mean? Zion is often used as a collective word for the people of Israel. A deliverer is coming up out of the people of Israel. Hmm. When and where in history is there a deliverer that has come from the Jewish people? Let me think really hard. Uh, Sunday school answer, Jesus. A deliverer is coming. He goes on and he says, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. There's going to be a separating, as we see even in the book of Revelation, sheep and goats. There's going to be a judgment even of the nation of Israel. Those that are unbelieving are going to be expelled. Those that are believing are going to be brought in. And all you have left will be believing Jews. And at that point, it will be said, all Israel will be saved. And that's played out throughout the book of Revelation. And this will be my covenant with them, verse 27, when I take away their sin. Here's the future. Jeremiah 31 alludes to it. There is a day coming when Israel collectively as a nation will look to their deliverer in Zion who will take away their sin by his mercy. They will enjoy the blessings of the covenant that we currently enjoy as Gentiles and in perfect accord with God's perfect plan that the nation of Israel will be restored. The national rejection of Messiah by the Jews will be replaced by comprehensive repentance and redemption. Israel will be restored one day. That's future. God's 
plan and purposes are working toward that. And here's what that means for you and me this morning, beloved. If that doesn't happen, then you can't trust God because God has promised that throughout the Old Testament of the restoration of his people. And Paul says, through all the meanderings of history and through all the trials and the pain of Israel and through their exile and through their discipline and through all that God has done in the nation of Israel, I will keep my promise to my people. I will keep the covenant with the nation of Israel. That's a big deal for you and me this morning. Paul says, so all Israel will be saved. Israel's future restoration is certain. Pastor Mike, this is a lot to try to digest this morning. Can you maybe give me a passage that kind of summarizes all this? All right. You don't have to open in your Bible. I want you to just look on the screen. Acts chapter 3. So in Acts chapter 3, Peter is preaching, and Peter's preaching to Jew and Gentile alike, and Peter kind of lays out God's purpose for Israel and for us Gentiles, and he says this. It'll be on the screen. Acts 3, beginning in verse 12, he says, Men of Israel... You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. That's back in the Gospels. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. They rejected their Messiah. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Verse 17. Hang with me. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, But what God foretold by the mouth of his prophets that this Christ would also suffer, he thus fulfilled. So Peter's saying, listen, this is all happening according to the purposes of God. Even your rejection currently is happening according to the purposes of God. But then listen to Peter's call to the Jewish people 2,000 years ago. Verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. We just read about that in Romans 11. That a time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Messiah appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoring of all things. Peter says, return and repent. And when that time of repentance of national Israel happens, guess what's happening? Jesus is returning. And when Jesus returns, preceded by the redemption of Israel... Peter says it will be the restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. The future of the world as we know it is tied to the restoration of Israel. Peter says here that when Israel turns, God redeems, God brings them back in and saves. The Messiah is going to come and he's going to restore all things in the world. Hallelujah, come Lord Jesus. That's why if you don't understand God's program and plan for Israel throughout the Bible, you don't understand prophecy. You don't understand revelation. We don't understand God's promises. He's woven them into a people, the nation of Israel, with whom we have been grafted in. Now, I want to I focus on this for just a minute, and then we're going to have a time of response and worship to this. So with all this, here's what we can conclude. Israel's future restoration is certain. And with that, the promises of God. But we can also see, here's big idea number five, that Israel's future restoration means blessing to the world. What is the world going to look like? What is that going to be when Israel is restored and God's purposes for the world are carried out? 
Isaiah 11:9 says, "The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. The world's not going to be the way it is anymore. The world is not going to continue as it is." Isaiah 35:10 says, "And the ransomed of the Lord shall return to Zion with singing, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The world is going to be transformed from what it is to what it was intended to be." Revelation chapter 21 says, "Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth." The first heaven and the first earth were passed away. The sea was no more. And John writes and says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. Not New Chicago, not New Atlanta, not New Beijing, not New Rome, New Jerusalem. The restoration of Israel means restoration for the world. Coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Listen, beloved. Do we, as the people of God, long for the day that death shall be no more? I do. Do we, as the people of God, long for the day when he will wipe away every tear? There will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is, by the way, a world that we can't even imagine because we've never known a world as it was intended to be, ever. It's coming. It's woven into God's covenant promises to his people and the restoration of Israel. Verse 22 of Revelation 21 says, And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Verse 24, and by its light the nations. Who's that? Us! The Gentiles will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. There is a day the world is going to be restored, and it's wrapped up in God's plan and purpose and redemption for Israel, and we say, come, Lord Jesus, and make all things new. God's going to keep his promises. We can rest that his redemptive plan for the world will not fail. We sang about it at the beginning of the service. He has already overcome his purposes are sure. Israel's future restoration means blessings for the world. Now I'm going to wrap up these last few verses, and these are painfully practical to us this morning. So I want you to look with me. I'm going to finish these few verses, and then we're going to go into verse 33, and we're going to have a time of worship together. So Paul lays all that out, and he says, okay, future of Israel, it's, it's certain. When God restores his people, it's going to mean blessings for the world. And then Paul gets back into the now. And he basically asks this question, okay, how are we to see unbelieving Jews today? Paul says, okay, remember, he's writing to a church there in Rome that's made up of Jews and Gentiles, and there was some conflict in the church. And he says, okay, how are we to see unbelieving Jews now? And how are we to see God's hope for them and their promise for them and us wrapped up in that? Because let me tell you something. Throughout the ages, the way even Christians have seen Jews, and particularly unbelieving Jews, has been far from scriptural. Let me give you an example really quick. I'm going to quote a well-known theologian who says this about the Jewish people. 
He says, now just behold these miserable, blind, and senseless people. Their blindness and arrogance are as solid as an iron mountain. Thus we cannot extinguish the divine wrath for what the prophets have spoken. Neither can we ever save or convert the Jews. They're hopeless. That was spoken by Martin Luther. And I'll just say... I read a lot of Luther, and I think he got a lot of things right. But let me go on record saying, when it comes to the nation of Israel, he got it dead wrong. Paul helps us here and says, okay, how do we see this unfolding now in the plan of God? Now stay with me, verse 28. How do we see unbelieving Jews now? As regards the gospel, verse 28, they're enemies for your sake. Their current situation is they reject the gospel. They appear to be enemies, end of verse 28. But as regards election, focus on this word with me. But as regards God's sovereign, free, undeserved choice, election, they are beloved. Why? For the sake of their forefathers, the promise God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 29, hang with me, watch this. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God made promises to Abraham about Israel. God has made promises about salvation to us. He says here, God's promises are irrevocable. What does irrevocable mean? Because it really matters to you this morning. The word irrevocable literally means without regret. We were behind the message the other night, and again, someone asked this question that I thought was so pertinent and so applicable. It was basically this. Why does God not just give up on the, on the Jews on, because of all their sin and all the rebellion? Why does he just move on? Does God regret his promises to plan to save Israel? And the Bible says God does not regret his plan of redemption. Watch because his plan of redemption is not based on how we would perform or how we would act. It's based on what is in him, not what is in us. That's huge for you and me. Because what that means is God's purpose is to save Israel just like us. He doesn't look down and go, you know what? I've determined to save Mike. I've called him. I've extended grace. I've died for him. But now watch, look what he's doing. He's so blown it. He's so messed it up. Doggone, I wish I'd never saved him. Never happens. God's purposes and salvation for you and me are not wrapped up in how we would perform. It is wrapped up in the nature and character of God. That is a glorious reality. If you don't understand that, your, your picture of grace is so limited and you will live with a constant performance mindset. Oh, I disappointed God today. Oh, I failed. And listen, there is the constant purging of sin in our lives as believers, yes. But there is a resting that God has saved me first and foremost by His grace knowing how I would react and He chose it because of the mercy and grace that is in Him. Therefore, it is irrevocable. It is without regret. That's good news. Paul says, God is not disappointed that he chose Israel. He chose them because of what was in him, not what was in them. And he goes on. He continues, verse 30, he says, For just as 
you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. He's going back into this chain of blessing. Remember the chain of blessing? Because of their disobedience, mercy has come to you. Verse 31, so they too now have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to, to you, they may receive mercy. Come on, Mike, help me. That's so tongue-tying. What does that mean? Here's what that means. If God can reach me with his mercy through their disobedience, he can certainly reach the Jews through his mercy that he has extended to me. He reached me through the Jewish disobedience. We now have been redeemed, and by our redemption, he's bringing Jews into himself. That's how his plan works together. You can trust that there's hope for the people of Israel because of God's promise. It will not fail. Verse 32, for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. That's tough. What does that mean? That verse means the state of the world from the beginning was sin. We have all been imprisoned by our disobedience. We are all in the shackles of sin from the beginning because of our forefathers. We were born into sin. And the only way out of that prison is the mercy of God extended to all without distinction, Jew and Gentile alike, without distinction. And the point is this. Throughout history, the way God has worked is the only way out of the prison of sin is the mercy of God. To him be the glory. Why has history occurred as it's occurred? Why all the ebbs and flows? Why all God's dealings with Israel? It is to show the world and to demonstrate that all humanity is wrapped up in the prison of sin and the only hope is a Redeemer who came out of Zion and His name is Jesus. To God be the glory. And Paul steps back from all of this that he's written. Paul steps back from all of this that by the inspiration of the Spirit. He's written, beginning all the way back in chapter 1, of God's redemptive plan. We were under the wrath of God. God extends mercy. God weaves His purpose through the nation of Israel over thousands of years. It looks like the plan is going to fail, but oh, it's exactly the way God intended it. God's sovereignty reigns. God's mercy reigns. He is without regret. His undeserved grace, His lavish mercy, and in light of His great sovereignty, Paul now worships. And this is your final big idea going in. This is going to lead us into the last few verses is this. God's unfailing redemptive plan for both Jews and Gentiles is ultimately for His glory. So Pastor Mike, I can't put all these pieces together. I can't even figure out all this history and some of this stuff doesn't make sense to me. Paul says, okay, it's all ultimately for the glory of God. Look with me, verses 33 through 36. I want you to walk with me through these verses quickly and then we're going to sing and worship as Paul does here at the end of the chapter. He says, oh, the depth. Meaning there's some deep stuff here. There's some stuff here that's not just shallow. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. I look into the sea of it and I can't see the bottom and I conclude that it's all a mess. No, no, it's perfectly in His wisdom. You just can't even begin to see the bottom of it. How unsearchable are His judgments. 
The word judgment means a divine decree from the king. What God has decreed, the understanding of it, it is unsearchable. How unscrutable are his ways. The word unscrutable may may be unfathomable in your Bible. Listen to this. Paul says the ways of God, (laughs) they're unfathomable. They're inscrutable. That word in the original language means footsteps. In other words, the ways of God are often unfootsteps. What? Without footsteps. If you try to trace his footsteps to your current situation or even coming out of it, sometimes the footsteps are gone, meaning I don't understand all that brought me here. I don't understand all that's going to bring me out of it. I don't even see, I can't trace your ways, God. Sometimes you can't even track them. But you can trust. You can trust. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Who can say, oh, I've got God figured out. I, 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 I got him. I got all, I got all in this box. I got it all figured out. I've said this before. You and I really don't want a God you can fully figure out because if you can, that makes you God. And that's a mess. Who's known the mind of the Lord? No one. Who is first given to him? Or who has been his counselor? To whom does God go for advice? Here was my plan. I don't know if it's a good plan. What do you think? No one. Infinite in wisdom. Or who has given a gift to him that it might be repaid again? Meaning, God does not work as a debtor. God owes you and I nothing. God has infinite, infinite grace and mercy from which He gives. He lacks, He needs, He owes nothing from Him. Source. Everything finds its source in God. Everything. Through Him, the means, everything is executed only through Him. The plans of history, only through Him. The plans of your life, only through Him. And He is the goal. To Him are all things. And Paul concludes, it is not about us. We exist for Him. To Him be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. To Him be the glory. Pray with me, and we're going to worship in song. Lord, our hearts are full. Lord, we stand in awe of your word. We stand in awe of your ways. And God, forgive us when we try to take your place and in any way think that we are God. You are God and we are not. Lift our hearts now in worship of you that we leave here different. In light of your revealed truth now, we worship in Jesus' name. Amen.